0: Thank you, worship team. Uh, It's very helpful to reflect on those words. Um, Before I get uh, Matt McFarling to come up and read scripture, um, let me just say a few words about what we're going to talk about today. Um, Albert Einstein once said, We cannot solve problems by using the same thinking we used when we created them. And this passage today, John 17, shows us, a problem, the problem of disunity. And it shows us the thinking that led to it and the thinking that will perpetuate it if Christ's prayer is not realized. You've heard a lot about CCC 2.0. If you've been talking about the leadership or with the leadership here at Christ's community, you've heard of CCC 2.0. It's, we're going to talk about June 10th during that Sunday school hour when we meet together. Uh, the fact is that our community is growing. Our community is growing, and, and Paul is leading the charge for our congregation to move into this community and remain in Christ, remain unified, not fighting or splitting or isolating or separating or bitterness, resentment, confusion, but unity and harmony. And as we read this passage, I want you to think, are, are you ready for that? Are you ready for new people to sit in the seats next to you? Are you ready for... New kids to minister to, new parents to come alongside, new people everywhere, new elders, new deacons. Are we ready for that? Will we experience unity? Uh, Matt McFarling, I'm going to have him come up and read the scripture. Um, part of the Matt program, as um, as Matt is ending his apprenticeship here at Christ Community is to do things like this and read scripture, and one of the things is spontaneous preaching. So Matt's going to actually preach the sermon today <laughs> on his last day here at Christ' community, and it will be the Lord speaking. <laughs> I'm just kidding, just kidding. Uh, but I have so enjoyed uh, working with Matt, being his mentor, his his boss, uh, and as weird as it sounds, being a, a student of his. I mean, there are lots of things that Matt McFarlane can do better than I can, and it, it's so great. To rub shoulders with him and work with him and to see him go into seminary uh, starting in July and to uh, get his his Master of Divinity and then into the ministry is really, really exciting for me personally. And I know for many of you who know Matt over the over the last year, have gotten to know him better. So thank you, Matt, for your service. Um, and this being your last Sunday, why don't you read scripture for us?
1: If there ever was a passage for me to spontaneously preach on, I would pick John chapter 17. So... <laughs> First, I was thinking, lucky me. Uh, um, so go ahead and turn in your Bibles to John chapter 17. If you're using a blue pew Bible, it'll be page 903. Um, the one thing I'd like to say publicly and up front about the map is that in this last year, I've gotten to live in two wonderful homes with two wonderful families. So George and Kathy Poulis, Holt and Donna Evans, thank you so much for your kindness and your hospitality and your generosity. Um, It meant the world to me to live there, but um, we're going to start in verse 20 in chapter 17. We'll read through verse 26. Uh, Let's rise for the reading of God's word. This is Jesus speaking from his high priestly prayer, starting in verse 20. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. You may be seated and reflect on this passage.
0: Building God's kingdom is the charge. Uh, uh, This sermon this morning in this passage, John 17, 20 through 26, building God's kingdom. Notice that Jesus wants to be vindicated so that the world will know that you sent me and loved me because it sure isn't going to look like that. A few days from now, in Jesus' prayer in John 17, it's his last will and testament before he dies on a cross, a criminal, uh, and in the lowest part of society. Defeated, no victory, and rejected by not only his own people, but the Roman Empire as well. His disciples will scatter. Where are his followers? His ministry, his world ends in defeat. So Jesus wants vindication. He wants his glory to be spread in the world. And then he looks to his disciples and says, now you go. You go do that. <laughs> the building God's kingdom, to me, looking at that task, is it's is, is kind of like a middle school dance, if you think about it. it, it, it not really. But there's one thing in common. It, there's a lot of activity in the center of the dance floor And then there's a group of middle school non-dancers sipping fruit punch, scared to move into the center and do anything. And I want to know, how do you feel about building God's kingdom, spreading his glory in a world that hates him and rejects him and kills him? How do you feel about that? Are you like the middle schooler sipping punch going, I'm never going to make it to that dance floor? Well, I hope this sermon will encourage you to take that step out and run and go into the dance floor. Because I promise, even though it's scary, it'll be the time of your life. You know, the more I've been involved in building God's kingdom, there have been many moments where I've been afraid and I've been scared and and I've been feeling like I just want to quit and I just want to go off to the side. Uh, You know, like things like running a youth event or um, playing the piano. That was really scary for me. I'm not a very good piano player. But when I do it, I'm nervous. Doing VBS or really... Here's a better example reaching out to my neighbors who are unbelievers Reaching out to the members of my extended family who are unbelievers That's a challenge And that's when I feel this nervousness of am I am I really doing this right? And one of the beautiful things that I have Personally learned as i've been involved in building god's kingdom over the years is that the more involved I get The more I realize I was made for this Let me explain what I mean. In John 17, God gives us this grand job description I mentioned to make his name known, to vindicate him, and spread the glory. But we're designed. We're designed for it. How is God actually accomplishing this? He's accomplishing it by building a loving community. And it just so happens... That's exactly what I need. One of my most basic needs as a human is a loving community, to belong, right? To fit in, to be at home, to be loved, and to share love mutually. Well, this purpose is exemplified in my parents' car. I talked about my car the last time I talk about my parents' car. Um, my dad used to have in California, used to have a, an old Corvette, you know, in the eighties, it was the one with the fenders like that, you know, the Batmobile. And I have to say, dad, I'm very upset about this and he knows it. Um, and it really, my mom drove it most of the time. So she's the abuser. You think it's, it's not what you think. She drove it slowly to work and back every day. That, that Corvette was the saddest car I've ever seen. I actually looked in the phone book back in the day in California, and there's, you know, there's car counseling for depressed cars who really want to you know, live up to their potential but can't because uh, car abusers like these two just drive a sports car slowly to work and back. It's moping around town and very, very sad. But one day they allowed Shelly and I to drive on a mountain road, and Shelly and I um, drove on the mountain road, <laughs> if you will, 90 minutes of bliss. And that Corvette, the V8 came to life. The suspension sprang into being in life. That car was happy. And if it could smile, you could see it. It was, it was racing around. Well, I didn't break the law. Let's just be clear. I didn't break the law as far as you know. But, um, but it was a great 90 minutes and that car lived. And it, 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 it's interesting that, that what I was requiring the Corvette to do was a difficult task. What I asked as the driver, of the car was to drive in the mountains, which was very difficult. But also, it was the happiest moment of that poor little car's life. And they, they actually have another Corvette now. It's a little newer. It's in the 90s. It's not that new. But, and they drive it around town. It's a poor car. Someone please take it to the mountains. Please. <laughs> uh, well, what is, what is your driver of your life requiring you to do? In John 17, it's a difficult task, but it's what you were designed to do. And you will find deep satisfaction and fulfillment in accomplishing this. It's not easy, but it's worth it. That's the beauty of this passage, and that's exactly what we're going to talk about. They will know us by our love. That is is a theme in John 17. Jesus says, I'm not going to take them out of the world. I'm going to leave them in the world. So let's talk about that. First, I want you to understand the confidence of Jesus. If you look at John 17 in the the first verse, verse 20, he is confident. And I didn't see it the first time I read it. Let's see if you can see it. Verse 20, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. So that's us. That's you and me. Where does Jesus pray specifically almost by name, CCC (laughs) 2.0? Right here in John 17, he's praying for us specifically. But do you see the confidence in the word will? I pray also for those who not might believe or might decide to believe or might be convinced, but will believe. Jesus looks at you through the corridors of time and, and looks at you and says, I know you're going to, going to believe. Through their message there's a confidence there so will they become christians jesus is confident yes they will believe however the very next verse there's hesitation almost want to say worry in the voice of jesus listen to this that all of them may be one do you hear it i'm not sure they're going to be one in fact i'm i'm pretty sure they're not going to be one Yes, they'll believe in Jesus, but I don't think they're going to be unified together. So Jesus sees this as a huge problem, and here he turns his attention to the problem of disunity. And and if you just look at the history of the church, it's easy to exemplify how we have fought as Christians over the years, how we have split up over the years. And, and I, I mean, Jesus mentions it. Like it's very important here. L- listen, listen to what happened in the early church. The church was plugging along in great harmony. You know, most people got along. They were, you know, you read in Acts how they shared their possessions and they came together and they lifted up the name of Jesus in joy and they had this great harmony. But almost immediately, a few controversies surfaced and we began fighting amongst ourselves. You can read about it in the New Testament, it's, it's everywhere. Fights among Jews and Gentiles, slave or free, rich or poor. There was Gnosticism, which is a heresy that some people believed in and fought about. There was a problem of the celebrity pastor that Paul preached on in 1 Corinthians. I follow Apollos. I follow Peter. I follow Paul. I follow Jesus. You know, these celebrities that I follow. And then later on, there was the great schism. The one church of Jesus Christ broke into two. The East and the West. Let me remind you, for those of you who may not know about the Great Schism in the, in the 10th and 11th century, uh, the church fought for hundreds of years about who is going to lead what in the church. And they fought and fought and fought. And At the end, Pope Leo of the Roman Catholic Church and the Patriarch Michael of the Eastern Orthodox Catholic Church excommunicated each other and their respective churches from the church. <laughs> And it was 900 years later, 1965, when the leaders of these two churches uh, removed their mutual excommunications. Uh, we, what do we split over as Christians? What do we fight about? Should a Christian be wealthy or poor? Should the Bible be written in all languages or just Latin? Should we baptize babies or adults? Should the king of England get to divorce his wife and marry someone else? Should we sprinkle or immerse in baptism? personal holiness is the priority classless equality in the church is the priority that's where the quakers came in white churches black churches should we do church on saturday or sunday should we see miracles every sunday should we sing new songs or old songs and the list goes on and on and on should we read the king james version only should women teach should women lead Is the bread of Christ really the body of Christ? I mean, it just goes on and on. And I'm not saying these are unimportant issues, but you can see throughout history what Jesus was talking about. Our propensity to fight and and fight in such a way that we allow these discussions to split us apart in unhealthy ways. And if the church splits up in unhealthy ways, people notice. Let me read a Pinterest post I saw, <laughs> excuse me for using social media in a sermon. This is an atheist writing. Unlike, unlike Christianity, atheism does not have 43,600 different denominations or versions of the truth, only one. And I, I read that and I'm like, wait a second, wait a second, denominations... That doesn't mean the same thing as versions of the truth. I mean, Baptists and Presbyterians, you know, they, they agree about a lot. And they agree about the core and the gospel. And, and that's important. But what what, the, what does the world see when they, when they see us fighting about things like that and splitting? What do they see? And they don't appreciate it. One, one, uh, one phrase I saw was, if there is a God of this religion, he must be evil. It's just... The way the world sees us when we fight, it's a big problem. And Jesus is praying about that in John 17. And he's praying specifically about that with you and me in the church today. So that's the, the weight. I want you to feel the weight of the problem. Now, the world has a couple of great sol- solutions. Let's just mention them and then never practice them here. They're not good ideas. They don't come from the Bible. They certainly aren't things that Jesus is talking about in John 17. But here's a couple of worldly solutions that end up creeping through the cracks in the church and, and get in here. And actually, some people sometimes want to do this. First, Paul's mentioned this many times, uh, and I think I have too, is it? But... The, Unity is not conformity. If everyone thinks and everyone behaves the same way, we won't fight. You know, this is what we want to do. We want to change everything on the outside. And hopefully if we just kind of do the same things and believe the same things and say the same things, we'll feel the same things on the inside and everybody will be perfectly unified this is kind of what the communists do you know when they come around and they see the rich and the wealthy and the property owners and they they kind of own everything and then the masses of poor who were oppressed by the rich and they come in and say nope we're going we're going to make everybody equal and you ask well how are you going to do that the communist answer is with a gun revolution i'm going to force it and then once i force it you'd be all the same Then we'll learn to love that kind of unity. It's the outside in. It doesn't work. Did the church ever do this? Did it ever come into the church? We did. You you can sense there are people talking like that from time to time to say, hey, let's just all sing the same songs, let's all do the same thing. Let's all have the same same everything. Uniforms at church. Unity. You know, that that's it comes in once in a while. But but one of the greatest examples is is during the Middle Ages. The church was organizationally unified in Europe under the Roman Catholic Church, the name the Roman Catholic Church. It was centralized, there was it was one political structure, you know, there was one liturgy, there was one way to have church on Sunday morning, there was a uniform for the clergy. It was just all very organizationally similar. So it's kinda of like the Christian version of communism in the church, a little bit. Well that's done, right? The Middle Ages, the church in the Middle Ages experienced great unity, the kind of unity that Jesus prayed about in John 17, right? No. The first problem is that most people, when they look at the average Christian in the Middle Ages, they didn't even know the Bible because they couldn't even read the Bible. Because they read it in Latin. You couldn't read it in your own language. So no, the, the average church member was not trained to participate in the building of God's kingdom. The average church member was dead in their faith. They basically just, here's what to believe, here's what to do, here's your instructions, now you do it. And it's unity. And it was a dead church that had very little life in the congregation. Now the leaders were all about reading the Bible. They learned Latin, they got into it, they did Bible studies by themselves, and they really understood what was going on. They tried to understand. But what do you think happened on the leadership level? Fighting. That's where the orders came from, Dominican, Cluniac, Franciscan, the Crusades. All of those were like ways of of living and behaving and priorities of this and that, and this is how we live in the world. It was all diversity, and it's kind of like the unity that you see at first in the Middle Ages was just a paint job. Things are not as they seem. You lift the hood and look at the engine, and there's a lot of fighting going on in the church. So it's not real. That's what Jesus is trying to help us see. It's not real. This kind of, this kind of conformity is not real. Another, another solution that the world comes up with is the opposite of this. Instead of forcing everybody to do the same thing, organizational and conformity. So if, instead of that, we're just going to let things go. We're going to tolerate. And toleration is more important than truth. Now, you see it in the world a lot, but one good example is the coexist bumper sticker. This is a uh, bumper sticker with the letters of coexist, and it represents different religions, and we're all supposed to get along. Their motto, the foundation, the coexist foundation, literally says we want social cohesion through education. Social cohesion through education. And that's how we achieve unity. Toleration. And But what happens is... Once you understand someone's belief, like if you really understood another religious belief, would you really be unified with them? Is that the pathway to unity is to agree to disagree and just let it go? You sacrifice truth. With conformity, you sacrifice distinctiveness, which is good, personalities, music styles you know, different kinds of expertise that we have. You, you sacrifice all of that. But but in the other case, you sacrifice truth. And so what do you have in the church? We have a lot of mainline denominations in America who throw out the Bible as the ultimate truth because they're trying to accommodate and tolerate people and their behavior. And they they want to just make a universal unity again. And it, it, it's by toleration. It doesn't work. It's not the kind of unity that Jesus prays for in John 17. So if that's not it. Then what is it? If that's not it. What is this unity that Jesus talks about? It's, it starts with this, this idea. Let me just read the verses. And then, I'll, and then you can kind of see where Jesus is heading. Verse 21. That all of them may be one father. Just as you are in me. And I am in you. I in them, you in me, I in them, you in me. So so the Trinity has something to do with the, the kind of unity that we're supposed to achieve, the community that we're supposed to have in Christ, the Trinity. Now, the Trinity is a little confusing. How does Jesus and the Father you know, commune together, interact? They're the same person. But they, so there's a little bit of confusion with the Trinity, But but it's clear, at least... The Trinity is a model for us. We're not invited to join the Trinity, right? Let's be clear about that. We're not the fourth member of the Trinity. That's not what we're seeing here in John 17. But we are seeing a model of love, a model of, of unity that exists between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit that now you and I have with Jesus and then with each other. You can see that as a pattern. So what is in, in terms of the phrasing of John 17:20 20 through 26 what is the one word that captures the idea of being unified together with Jesus as Jesus is with the Father The word is in in Christ Now this word in Christ in the Lord you know it occurs 164 times in the letters of Paul alone 164 times It's a lot. And if you don't understand in Christ, what it means to be in Christ, it's very difficult to understand the New Testament. And and the idea here in John 17 is you start thinking about in Christ, it isn't it isn't like a tool in a box, a toolbox or a, a clothing in a closet. You're not in Christ that way. It's more like an arm to a body. It's organic, like a branch to a tree. And now the biblical metaphors begin to, to surface in your memory banks, right? We are the body of Christ. Abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. These are very common metaphors that Jesus uses. So that's what it means. If, if you don't really understand in Christ, just add the word abide, and it kind of clarifies that. Abide is in christ like a tree branch like a tree branch it it's just like that so this is what it means we see this pattern over and over again and once you're in christ three things happen and they're beautiful things and this is where we're going to end our our discussion this morning three things happen first this love of the father is given to jesus okay so it's received this love of jesus is is given to us. So it's received. So we have, the first step is love received. Second, this love must be shared. And then third, this love must be celebrated. That's what we see in this passage. Love received, love shared, and then love celebrated. So when we say love received, just think for a second. Just take a step back for a second and just think about what it means to receive love. That's the basis, that's the first step of our unity. That's the first step to belong to this community. What are we really saying? Well, if you receive love, then you need love. And your need of love is the foundation of our unity. If you want to join into the community in Christ, the first step is, I have a need. I have a need just like you do. Someone said that the ground at the cross is level. The ground at the foot of the cross is level. No one is better or worse at that place. We are all the same. Now, your sin may not look like my sin, but your sinful nature is just like mine. You're infected with the same disease I am. Can we talk? We can be together on that, right? We can be unified together on that. And if you opt out at that level, you can't join. You can't. The only qualification to join the church is to be unqualified. See, God doesn't help those who help themselves. God helps those who don't and can't help themselves and who know it. That's the first step into unity is is we're together on this. We are all sinners and we are all in need of forgiveness. We are all in need of saying that confession together. And if you kind of step back in those moments, you can't join You've got to be honest. You've got to face your sin. You, you can't lie or hide or keep your sin hidden in a, in a dark closet somewhere that nobody knows about. You just can't do that. You will end up fighting and being disunified if that's our first step. So let's agree before we move and our community grows and new people come, let's just start there. Let's just agree that we're all on the same level here at the foot of the cross needing a Savior. And once we forget that, it's done. Uh, so love received. We are unified by the love we she, the common love. Now, here's, here's the clue. This love is for you, but it's not just for you, right? Well, how do you know that? How do you know that this love isn't just for you? When you receive the love of God, can you just, you just kind of treasure it? Just put it in your heart and just treasure it and just spend the rest of your life yes this is a treasure i love this and you're gazing at it and you're privately just loving it is that the goal let me give you an analogy A father and son were riding the subways of new of of new york and after after their train stopped on their stop they got out and they walked through the subway and they saw a drummer playing the buckets You've seen this on YouTube or in New York, as I have. It was awesome. I, st- I stopped. I'm like, wow, this guy's awesome. The father and son, did. they stopped. They watched this drummer, and he was making all kinds of noises and cymbals and bass. I mean, how does he do it with just buckets, right? And he was going crazy, and he had a little, you know, a little cup out there people were putting money in, and, and uh, it was filling up. People loved this guy. And they were clapping. They were whistling. The father and son were like, this guy's awesome. And I was like, well, it's time to go. We've heard a few songs. Let's go. It's time to go. We're going to be late. So as they turned to leave, the father took out his wallet, took $10 out, gave it to his son and said, here you go, son. And you, you know what the son did? He took the $10 and went, wow, dad, thanks. Put it in his shirt pocket and walked away. Now, what's the conversation like going to be with that son? Look, son, I, I, I mean, I did give you $10. That's, I mean, I, I get it. I did give you $10. But the context of where you are should inform you of the intention of the gift I gave you. Guys, if we're in heaven, basking in God's glory, and there are no non-Christians, there are no unbelievers, the $10 is yours to keep. But if, if you're on earth, as Jesus says in John 17 earlier... I don't take them out of the world. I leave them in the world. And in that context, you should understand why God is giving you the love that he's given you in this place. He lavishes it on you. He blesses you. He gives you skill. He gives you talent. He gives you money. He gives you emotional freedom. He gives you freedom from habits and sin. Why? Why does he give you all of that? So that you can give it away and it starts right here in the church you you may think that the ten dollars that god gives you is supposed to go out into the world that's true that is true but what jesus is talking about in john 17 is the love that you and i share now again this is a human need a basic human need it's a win-win right when Jesus loves us, and I love you, and you love me back, and we're both getting fed from Jesus, and we're just, it's just like a love party, and we're just constantly loving each It's just kind of weird to say that, but we're just loving each other back and forth. That's the kind of community that the world will see. And you know what they're going to say? God did send Jesus. God did love Jesus. Jesus was right. Jesus was victorious Look at the love that these people have. I love it when when people go to the inquirer's class and they say, I come for the preaching, I come for the music, I come for the youth program. And we all keep, you know, like points. (laughs) Like, I got one. You know, this kind of thing. But one of the most encouraging, by far, the most encouraging thing is when I came to Christ's community, I was loved. And I just noticed how much you guys love each other. And as this community grows in diversity, as we grow adding new people, who knows who these people are? I certainly don't. I don't have a plan. The people are just gonna start coming, and as they come, see, then that's the moment when they get to see the love that we have for each other, and and they'll wanna get warm by our fire, right? They'll wanna come and join. Listen to this quote, a man who was completely innocent. This is a non-Christian writing. A man who was completely innocent offered himself as a sacrifice for the good of others and because the ransom became the ransom for many. To me, that's a perfect act. Now he looks to Christians and he says, I like your Christ. I do not like your Christians, though. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ In fact, if Christians would really live according to the teachings of Christ as found in the Bible, all of India would be Christians today. That was Mahatma Gandhi who wrote that. Do you feel that? That hurts. We don't love each other. We, We have to listen to the words of Jesus, receive the love, and then share the love. That's what it's designed to do. So the third thing that we're looking at this morning as we end is the celebration of this love. Now, this is my favorite part. If it works, and Jesus says it can work, if it works, that Jesus loves me, Jesus loves you, then we love each other with that love. And then people come and they see it. We we need to celebrate it. I think you and I can get stuck in this. Um, oftentimes we can get stuck into this mindset of uh, on earth, before heaven, I'm really just denying myself and taking up my cross and suffering. I'm dying so others can live. That's my life. I sacrifice as a husband, as a, as a, a wife, or as a uh, dad, or as a teacher, or as a minister, or whatever. I sacrifice, 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 sacrifice. And I give, give, give. And then in heaven, I get my piece of cake i get it It, right there i get it at the end of time i get my party right i get to celebrate then let me just add something to that line of thinking if that's where you're at let me add something to your consider how jesus created the world how god through jesus created the world on the first day he did these things and he saw that it was good second day he did these things and he saw that it was good every day he ended with a little moment of celebration he just saw it and he looked at it. He didn't continue working through the night. He stopped and he goes, what? "This is, this is good. Can we do that on Sunday morning? I mean, I'm asking you, can, can we do that on Sunday morning? Can we come together for just this hour and just, I mean, I know the week is tough, but we come together, we sing these songs, we hear this this preaching from the Word. Can we just stop and say?" The Lord is good. And and so often we rush pie that celebration thinking maybe it's not appropriate for me to stop and celebrate. It is. It's super important. In verse 24, Jesus writes, Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. That's the ultimate celebration coming to us. At some point in the future. But look at 22. Verse 22. I have given them the glory that you gave me. That they may be one as we are one. And he goes on. Complete unity. Knowing that you have loved them. And the world knows and all that. But look at that. A little bit of that glory is here today. Now. It's appropriate for us to stop and say. Do you see God's glory right there? In that guy's life right there. Do you see it? Let's celebrate. Let's take a moment and just celebrate the love of God. I'm ending with this uh, really cool. Oh, before I do that, I want to say the high school ministry is starting something new this year. It's called Golden Moments. We have these little statues that look like Oscars, and we give these golden moments. It's kind of silly. Uh, it looks like an award, and you're a super Christian, but it's not. What it is, is it's a moment for us just to say, look, 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 guys, everybody stop. Everybody stop doing stuff. Stop. This is a golden moment. Isn't this awesome how this high school student sacrificed for the kingdom and then this fruit happened, this wonderful thing happened, and someone was encouraged and grew in their faith? And it's a win-win because the the student who sacrifices grows and is joyful, and the student who is served and and loved grows and is joyful and it's just a win-win and and let's just take a moment and, and just say this is a golden moment so every trip every now and and again we're going to say hey here's a golden moment for you we want everyone to see this as a golden moment the staff does that too we have a little texting thing with the staff and all the staff says hey i went to this event but i saw this little thing happen look at it and we text a picture and we're like oh my gosh that's so great so like thursday afternoon when i just got done fighting with my parents about their depressed car, and I'm really in a bad mood, and I'm frustrated, and I get the text, and it's like a golden moment. It just lifts me up, and it makes me want to face Monday morning again and get up and try. And So that's something we need to do more often. Let me, let me close with this uh, illustration. Uh, Eric Mason, of um, he's a, is a pastor of a church, a big church in Philadelphia. When the Uh, Last Super Bowl was won by the Philadelphia Eagles. It was a spectacular game. I don't know if you remember that game or not, but it was unforgettable. The underdog team from Philadelphia knocking off the favored New England Patriots 41 to 33. And in the streets that night, one million people came out to celebrate. And what Eric Mason said was what I noticed as I walked around was that everybody had the same color jersey on with someone else's name, not their own. And, and, and the, the celebration of this grand game brought them together, overwhelmed their differences, their frustrations, of black, white, brown, of rich and poor and young and old and male and female, and every kind of person's coming out, same jersey, someone else's name on the back, and they're celebrating a victory for a game they never played. That's us. That's us. You and me as Christians have on the same color jersey. And it's someone else's name on our back. It's Jesus. And he has won the victory for a game we never even played. That's the kind of unity we should experience in heaven. But we should also experience that, or at least a taste of that now. For how will the world know? That God sent Jesus, that God loves Jesus, if we do not have love in our community today. The words of Christ, Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am, to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Let's pray. Father, as we close our service today, pray that you would bring into our minds the things that we need to be thinking about Lift up in our hearts the things that we long for we we shouldn't. Help us to receive your love. Help us, God, as a church, to share your love mutually. And God, I pray that you would enable us to celebrate with the laughter of the redeemed. God, I pray for that in your name. Amen.